This is a production from The Companion. Sci-fi served fresh. I'm Brad Wright, co-creator of all those Stargate television shows and creator of Travelers on Netflix, which is a show you should watch if you haven't seen it yet. You're listening to my podcast, Conversations in Sci-Fi, a production from The Companion. Welcome to my interview with my friend and multi-franchise television star, Ben Browder. Ben had the difficult job of stepping into a starring role within a long-established ensemble, and I was always impressed with how well he fit in right away. In this episode, we'll discuss everything from aircraft to acting, back to aircraft, from Farscape to Stargate, and we'll even get to hear from some of you. From The Companion, this is my conversation in sci-fi with Ben Browder. A quick note before we begin. If you are a big Stargate fan, you're going to want to listen to the full podcast from members only. Click on the link below. Enjoy the conversation. One of the last times I saw you was leaving the Continuum set after shooting a 14-hour day. You got into your car and drove back to L.A. I did. Straight. It's worse than that. Okay, so it was a 14-hour day. We wrapped at 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. And I got in my car and started driving at 6.30. Yeah. And I drove straight through to Los Angeles because my uh, because my son had a youth football game. And he didn't want to miss it. Yeah. And, uh, and in the intervening time, uh, Stargate got, we did Universe. And, uh, and then Stargate went away for a long time. And, and then uh, when we spoke uh, more recently, I, I hinted to you that I'm trying to get another one going, another Stargate going with MGM. Yeah. And I, I, I just, I, there's, nothing's happened yet because COVID put a big uh, hole in Los Angeles, as you may well know. There's a, uh, a giant crater. <laughs> <laughs> I drove I drove over the hill because I, I live kind of valley side. I drove over yeah. the hill and it, it's, it's just a big smoking hole. No, it's, it's, uh, it's, we had plans that have been uh, slowed. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But it was fun typing uh, Mitchell again, I have to say. Well, well good. I'm glad, I'm glad he exists uh, on, yeah. on paper, at least. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. At least that. <laughs> uh, and I don't know. I mean, uh, nothing, there's no, absolutely no guarantee that anything I've written will, will even happen. But uh but it was fun to do, and it's it's fun to play in that sandbox again. Yeah, well, you know, we can uh, we can we can get a whole bunch of people together and uh, do a Zoom call. Yeah, I wonder if we could do that. That's not a that bad would idea. Be, I would. Uh, I'd, I'd I'd pay money probably to do it just to see <laughs> Mike and Amanda and 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 Rick and whoever else. Yeah, is, yeah. Shows up. Let, let's not tell MGM that Ben would pay money to do this. That's probably a bad idea. Well, that's a lie anyway, but I just hope that Mike and Amanda hear that I would pay money to see them. That's what, yeah, I, that's, that's what I'm that's hoping nice. for. That's yeah. fair. That's totally fair. I wanted, to, I wanted to bring up another thing, too, because the last time we, we connected more recently had nothing to do with Stargate. It had, it had to do with the fact that your son joined the Air Force and is now playing Colonel Cameron Mitchell in real life. He's actually he's better than Cameron yet. Mitchell. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's 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 better than Mitchell because he uh, he's actually um, heading off to his B course to fly the F twenty two Raptor. Unbelievable! 
which is a spaceship. It's a real life spaceship. I, I've I've watched like YouTube videos. I knew about it anyway because when when you and I went down and and flew with the Thunderbirds to Nellis our, Air Force Base, got our F, got our F sixteen on, uh, which of course kind of let both of us know I think that we picked the wrong profession, <laughs> wrong life yeah. choices. We made bad life choices when we were young yeah. people. Because there may be nothing more fun than going straight vertical off the runway and then dropping upside down and seeing Vegas from that perspective. Over Vegas. And that was pretty doing fun. everything that an F-16 can do. Well, the F-22, good Lord, son. That, that, thing, that thing can fly supersonic without afterburner. There's only two planes in history that can do that. It's amazing. We saw them on the runway. We, uh, we did. If you recall, uh, at Nellis. And I, and I remember saying... Uh, you know, I, I I don't think I would approve that visual effect. Meaning, it didn't look real. It looked so so like a spaceship, and, and they is, were shiny. It, it, is, it is a spaceship, and uh, and and you know, Cameron Mitchell Jr. is going to be flying one. So that's so cool. That is so cool. How he backed into that, I I you know, it's uh, it's an ama- it's an amazing journey. Well, the other thing is, I you you reached out even when he went into the academy and said. Yes. Look I what did. you did. I, I, I did because <laughs> because I knew that we had that that shared groove on for uh, that kind of aviation. And well, all the things that, that we got. I mean, got how many do. people do you know that that jazz on that as much as like you and I do? We'd rather talk about that than almost anything other than maybe your golf game. <laughs> well, you don't. You're bored to, to, to tears with that. But I got in continuum. I got how jazzed I am. I mean, we both got to sit. You got to actually do dialogue. <laughs> uh, I had one line, but I was I was the uh, I was the guy in the other plane when when uh, in continuum when we went up when you guys went out to save the world, and yeah, I in sat F-15. in that cockpit. Yeah, yeah, it was an F fifteen Strike Eagle uh, provided by not the Air Force but the National Guard uh, uh, through the Air Force, uh, and. Uh, and they, they, that, that was the great association that Stargate had. I mean, we got to fly in F-16s. We got to sit in F-15s while we filmed all around the cockpit and had all that beauty. Yeah. Talk about an expensive prop. And then you got to go with the Navy to the Arctic. Yes. And I didn't make it. It was so sad. I never did hear your excuse. What was your oh, excuse? We, we, like, I was you're... flying up. I was flying up for just uh, the day, apparently, that the, the submarine was going to rise through the ice. And I was, gonna jo- I was flying with the admiral of the whole base that the submarine was from. And we were on our way up. And just as we were coming down to make our landing in Dead Horse, before we got on the small plane that took you guys up to the uh, Arctic ice, yeah. uh, there was a wind shear warning. And the plane swerved big time and, and, then, and then took off again. And the admiral looked at me and said, That's, we're not landing in Dead Horse. <laughs> And so he was right. We went back to Anchorage and the Admiral said, I, I can't go tomorrow. I, I, have a, I have to be in Washington the day after that. So there's just no way I can do it. And I went and talked to the woman at the counter and said, I, I, I guess I need to know where my luggage is so I can go back to the hotel for the night because we were told the plane was going to take off the next day. It, it took off like almost immediately. It just went, okay, we can go again. And everybody else who stayed at the gate, I followed the Admiral to the, to the, the other gate to find and stupidly and when when i went back the plane was gone so i couldn't go (laughs) they just left you there pretty much with my luggage they took off too so i didn't even know where my luggage was and and they didn't know either so i couldn't even hang around anchorage i didn't even have a bag to sleep overnight in anchorage 
So I had no choice but to get on a plane to come home. I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a wallet. I didn't have my car keys. So, so let me get this straight. Yeah. I get to go 300 miles offshore onto the Arctic to live mm-hmm. in negative 40 degrees with the Navy and polar bears. And you had a rougher trip than I did. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Oh, it was just, I mean, I really wanted to go and I know you did, but, uh, and, and you could, you, Martin, our director, Martin Wood was, was, uh, was trying to reach me, but my cell phone was just ringing in the luggage, which showed up two days later. It was great. Well, at least you got your stuff back. Yeah, I did. I did. (laughs) There's there's the silver lining. You, you, You got your things back. But I, I mean, I, I remember looking at the dailies and just going, oh my God, that looks cold. It was pretty well, cold, huh? Yeah. My, my favorite of the dailies, which I don't know whether they actually managed to get the shot or got it accidentally. Amanda and I, we had to do this long walk and talk out on the Arctic ice, right? I remember. And we've been given all the brief, like, okay, well, there's leads on the ice. And if you go through the ice, but wait, we, we, if we go through the ice? Yeah, well, you know, and also... Be careful about the polar bears because outside the perimeter, you want to be armed. And, and everywhere we went, we had snowmobiles and they would, you know, someone had weapons with them because of the polar bears. And then I guess on the one of our last days of filming, they go, OK, we're going to do the uh, we're going to do the long walk and talk with the helicopter shot. I remember that. And uh, they take Amanda and I out on the ice way out in the middle of nowhere. And they go, OK, so uh, we're going to walk from here to there. And then the guy and they hand us a they hand us a walkie-talkie and the guy in the in the in, on the, uh, the the snowmobile disappears and there's a man and I standing out on the ice with not a human being in sight, right? And at the top of the world, the helicopter and the helicopter disappears way out somewhere beyond view, right? But and and we're like, this is ridiculous. We're out here with the bears on the ice. Who knows what's going to happen? And we're supposed to walk this way when they give us the cue. And we, we, so we hear this chatter and we hear, okay, rolling and uh, action. And Amanda and I both dropped to the ground. <laughs> we, both, we both dropped to the ground and start doing snow angels on the ice. <laughs> and we hear the walkie talkie going, we can't see him, we can't see him. And the helicopter comes right over the top of Amanda and I while we're while we're doing snow angels on the ice in the arctic with the polar bears and we're just giggling like school children like where are you guys and then finally <laughs> goes oh, okay we'll do it right the next time it was awesome it was a great but the whole thing the whole event you know beyond the fact that the navy took us up there and we got to bunk in and felt like we belonged there uh, it's a massive bonding experience. It's an incredible, it's just an incredible physical experience to be there in that, in that environment. And that was, the, was that the first time you met Richard Dean Anderson? RDA came. Yeah. I was, I bunked with RDA. I mean, even just bunking in a plywood shed with, with Richard Dean Anderson is an experience because at three o'clock in the morning, that's when Rick decided to read the script for the first time or, or, or at least <laughs> learn his lines. So I'm in with, we've got the, uh, Commander of the base, we've got, a, we've got an intel officer who's doing uh, satellite stuff that he can't talk about, right? right? There's a couple of stories there. And, and we got Martin, uh, one other guy, and me. And at three o'clock in the morning, there's only one light in this plywood box. And it's like right over my bunk. I'm top bunking it. And at 3.30 in the morning, click, the light goes on. And it's Rick 
and Rick is sitting there with the script, going over the script at 3, 3.30 in the morning. I'm thinking, everybody's trying to sleep. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> so then Rick leaves his script on the counter, right? Right. There's like a little counter space that's that wide in the bunk, which is, serves as a desk for the for the people doing real work. But Rick left his script there, and it was, you know, Stargate Continuum. And below it, it said top secret, right? Right. The Intel guy sees the top secret and realizes there's civilians in the in the thing. And I see him come in and he, I see him grab the script and stick it under the pillow of his bunk. Ah. <laughs> and I go, I think that's Rick's. And he goes, what? what? And, he, and then he pulls it out and goes, ow. <laughs> So he thought he, he thought somebody left a top secret document out where civilians would get, put eyes on it. So he was, you know, he was no longer in a secure area and there was top secret documents laying around and it was a continuum script. That's funny. Well, it was it was top secret because we didn't want the details of the script to get out. But uh, but that, that was pretty funny. We yeah, shot those scenes long before we shot the rest of the movie. Yes. Well, uh, yeah, about a month and a half, two months. Yeah. Well, that's a long time in in in, in our world, and and uh, so for the longest time, that's that was Stargate Continuum. Th- those scenes. There was some amazing stuff in that. I like the day I walked into the soundstage, and there was an entire boat on the soundstage, and the soundstage was refrigerated. Gimbal boat. Oh my gosh! I'm like, I'm in a real movie now. I'm a real <laughs> man now. <laughs> No, we had fun with that. We we built a giant ship, and and not only that, we gimbled gimbled the cargo hold so so that when it tipped, it was that you know it, actually you were tipping. It was so much yes. fun. It was an entire uh, well, it was half of an entire freighter on yeah. a gimbal in a frozen soundstage. That yeah. was insane. Yeah, we it was a movie. I mean, we 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 pulled out the stops to a certain extent uh, as much as we could. I mean, it's still. Nothing compared to, uh, you know, what the big action movies do, but it was pretty cool. And you know that and a, and a billion dollar submarine prop was was pretty cool too. You know, we it was a that was a real sub coming through the ice. Yeah, it was. And uh, that was a real sub. That was real ice, and those were real polar bears that you didn't see waiting. To eat you didn't you didn't see them either, did you? You never saw one. I, I don't know. I don't know what they'd seen them the earlier in the season but we had i don't know that any of our crew saw them but believe me when you went out at night to go to the bathroom all you're doing is you would be scanning the horizon looking for two two little glowing spots because the only thing you could see would be the eyes of the polar bear right the ice is white and the polar bears they're white yeah yeah and then you'd be scanning and then you stop and you look up and the northern lights are kind of all around you it was it was stunning, bro. It was insane. It, you know what? I, I could kick myself that, that I didn't make it. But like I said at the time, the important thing was we got the film and, you know, it looked great. It's, it, it was real. And what kills well, me mean, is we, we did isn't it. That where, isn't that where your new script picks up? Just, you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> Mitchell, and, no. <laughs> Mitchell and Carter stranded on the ice. <laughs> Brad's like, I've got a plan. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, that's, I mean, it was Mitchell and, and Carter and O'Neill finding them. That was the, the fun part. Yeah. He, he was like, uh, just, just Colonel O'Neill. He didn't know anything about you guys. That was fun too. God, I enjoyed doing that. And then we got to do the, uh, then we got to screen it on the deck of a carrier 
was it Midway? It's Midway, Midway and yeah. Sa- yeah. We screened it on the deck of the carrier Midway in San Diego at Comic Con, and and it was it was a giant chunk of fun. We had such a good time. Yeah, the the the, the Air Force and the Navy have been very very good to us. They have, and I and I and I would. Uh, I would call them up again uh, if we got another opportunity, and uh, because it was good for them. I mean, they, well, they look, obviously it, it's exceeded in your family for God's sakes. Well, no, here's the thing: you say, "Look, we've already given you one F twenty two Raptor pilot. If you need another good one, you know, <laughs> you know, they're Amanda's got you. some kids on the way. They're happy to cross commission and you know, go your yeah, We're Canadian, unfortunately, you know. Canadians, uh, you know, we don't have uh, we don't have the same level of equipment. We uh, have uh, we have some F-18s. We have some F-18s. My uh, my my son's lead instructor uh, in the T-38 through UPT undergraduate pilot training at INJET, Euro-NATO Joint Jet Pilot Training, uh, was a Canadian. Oh, was he? Was it Shepard Air Force Base? It was a Shepard Air Force Base. Uh, he was call sign Porcelain uh, F-A-18 driver. Um, so that was... That was, that was the guy responsible for for cracking the whip on uh, on my boy. You know, Martin and I got to fly T thirty eights out of Shepard uh, I, before. I, I, I know, Martin. Yeah, I, I know. Martin sent me a picture of that. I was like, it was pretty oh. cool. Yeah, we should talk was... about more than planes at some point. Well, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about spaceships now. No, uh, no. Here is a question. Well, I. I Okay, let's do that. Are you are you as much of a nerd as I am with uh, with NASA and with uh, like I mean I can't I can't I stop everything to watch a rocket launch, whether it's a Falcon Nine or a or anything that goes up I, in the sky. I, uh, I listened to the last Mars landing on live on Clubhouse, right? <laughs> because I was in an airport and I couldn't actually watch it, so I actually listened to it, which is. That's a high level of geek, though. When you okay, listen fair. to it land. <laughs> well, it was pretty cool. I, I, I was, I was riveted, and and what the accomplishment was, and then the the video that we saw later of, of the of the whole hovering and dropping it, and then the the oh my god! I mean, that that's so incredible. Yeah, I'm a huge <laughs> space geek. I, but I that, I, maybe that, within our lifetimes, I think maybe within our lifetimes, uh, there'll be people living there. You know, I, that's I'm, a that's a that's a big ask, but it is the fact that if you look at our lifetimes and and the way the world is and the things we have and what mankind has accomplished in our lifetimes, yeah, I who knows what's next? We're either going to be living on Mars or living in the simulacrum. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, Musk is talking about Neuralink, right? And I know, I know. That's not. That's that's the next step into everybody living in a in a virtual economy. There's I I, know, I, I mean, I've written you know, about I thought we were going to have flying cars, but instead we're probably going to get the simulacrum before we actually have flying cars. Possibly, I I, I uh, I've written a couple of things on this uh, pilot and, and travelers. I don't know if you saw travelers. It was my last. It was my Netflix show. Uh, if you haven't, you should watch it. Ben, I did. I, I, I've seen I, I've seen a bit of it. Yeah. Okay. okay what's the rest? Do, I didn't do like the whole eight seasons like I did with SG One. Well, that killed me. That killed me. That that uh, I remember that Robert and I talking to you on the phone and and you saying, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna start watching them all. And we said, I no, it started with, let me provide you a list of shows that I think, and I I just wanted to 
I just wanted it to be, you know, a, a list of good episodes so that you would, you know, want to do the show. And uh, you were already committed, I think, at that point. But you said, no, I want to I want to see everything warts and all. Warts and all was the uh, phrase you yeah. used. And, and you saw the warts and all. And you did. And then you could reference. And then you you call this on our own shit. I remember, too, when we were doing an episode, you said, wait a minute. In season three. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, stop it. You, you can't call us on our own shit. We're, we're forgetting about that. We, we, we yeah, want to yeah, yeah. move past all that. Well, that's true. You were uh, unbelievable. That was almost 200 hours of television. No, I guess less than that, about 150. No, it was, uh, it was could, like 180. Was it? it was 180 hours. Almost. And you feel every one of them. No, I, I literally did it in a, I did it in a binge, literally like people watch series now. I, I watched, I think I watched the whole thing in two and a half weeks, Wow, uh, which is crazy. But um, I obviously I liked it or I, I might've not, you know, I might've not made it to the end. And, and the thing is, is that I would see, you know, the, the advantage of me is I have fresh eyes on it. Whereas you live right. it anytime right. you're in the middle of something, you know, you sometimes if I'm working on something, I, all I remember, I remember thinking, oh, this happened, but that was only in the first draft. Right. Or that there are things that um, that I remember about something that never made the cut. Uh, so I was seeing it sort of as it was uh, right. and seeing it fresh so that if I wanted to reference something from season three that you would prefer to have forgotten. <laughs> then the audience would go, yes, he did read the files. Do you know well, what I mean? No, I do. I do. Because I mean, it was relatively cool. You guys go, he read all the files and everybody looking like he's insane. He read the files. <laughs> and then there were the fake files that, that or the files that, that Mitchell was denied, you know? So there was, yeah. it, it, it's whatever provides an opportunity to tell a better, more nuanced story I'm in favor of. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was, I was uh, running off doing uh, that other show uh, Atlantis, uh, but we were all in one story room. Uh, so it was very, it was very strange, uh, trying to do two shows at once out of the same studio, uh, at the same time. Uh, yeah. and, and, uh, and so we were as a writer's room, we would sit in a, in a group and, and go through a script talking about first drafts and second drafts. And I would get confused. I would literally say, I, I remember at one point I, I said, uh, wait a minute, what is Taylor doing in this? And, and Paul gently touched my shoulder and said, Taylor's in the other show. <laughs> I was like, right. I, I was testing you. I, it was just exhausting. It was exhausting. Brad, I don't, I, I don't think that, that, that most of the, the, the people listening to this or, or even most of the people who work on a show understand how gargantuan a showrunner's job is. That's true. Um, I, I and, you know, I'm not, I'm, well, I am. I'm going to blow smoke up your ass right now. <laughs> the fact that you were running two shows at one time, successfully running two shows at one time of high quality uh, that were also in the same, the, the, the same, the, in the same canon. Bro, it's mind boggling. It's mind boggling. Most people, and doing 22 episodes a year, I see. And I know people who have done trying to do 12 shows, one show at a time for a whole year who struggle, really talented people 
who struggle to get even that done. And, and I, that workload, that workload is unimaginable. Um, and well, in, 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 in reality, in, in reality, Rob Cooper did. did oh, I know. Uh, and well, look, Rob, Rob, you had to have Rob, but even showrunners have, you know, most showrunners have their Rob. They have their, you know, their their exact co-exec producer. They have they have that right hand man. They have all that. But the fact that you were doing two of those and keeping everything running, because a showrunner's job is not just writing, it's not just producing, it's not just uh, dealing with personalities, it's not just dealing with the network. It, it's a synthesis job where you're dealing with all of these personality, all of these politics, all of this story. None of us do it alone. Right. And there's no That's way there's no true. way you're doing it alone. You had a great team. You know, you know, John Lennon grew up in the system. You had you know, you had you had Martin Woods. You, you, Andy. you had our, our other directors that that could help you along. And, you, you know, we you had your core writing staff and you had Rob. But still, the the the, the amount of admiration that I have for your ability to continue to be upright and breathing at the end of that process <laughs> uh, you, you have you know you have to understand so anytime I made your job difficult it it wasn't because I I I didn't care it's because I did care and I and I wanted to see you in the ground I, I, I wanted I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to be I wanted to be over your tombstone yes I'm the final nail in the <laughs> I, you never once made my life difficult. And in fact, every time I went to set, it was fun uh, and a joy to, and every time you had a question, it was a smart one. Um, but, but, you know, Rob was the showrunner. We were, what happened was ostensibly Rob ran uh, SG1 and I ran Atlantis, but we both did both. And, 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 um, and, you know, you, I, I credit, I credit the team. You have to credit the team. And at the end of the day, Paul and Joe and, and Carl and, Martin and and Rob and I just just came up, kept coming up with stories and 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 shooting them. Forty hours is a lot of TV in one year. I can't imagine it now. I can, I'm old now, but I can't even imagine it. Uh, with uh, I mean, a season isn't even twenty episodes long anymore, unless you're uh, on on some networks. And and I I got to tell you, I like ten episodes. If 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 uh, it's you can really concentrate on ten episodes. It feels it's, like a breeze. I think it's a good size. I think it's a good size model. It's a, you know, there's a good arc in there. You're not trying to, you're not trying to create, you know, really in a, in the 20 episode season, you're kind of creating two arcs because you're getting to your mid season with that and then resetting. So you're almost doing two seasons in one when you're doing 20 most of the time. Uh, right. You know, so it's like, right. hey, we have this right. arc and it gets up to our mid season, which is episode nine, 10 or 11. Right. Absolutely. Um, and you can, you can see that pattern. Uh, in the latter two seasons of Stargate, where we arced out to that big mid-season, and then we yeah. we reset and get to the end of the season, which then would let, leave us hanging for the next season. So that was actually almost born out of the need uh, uh, to, because we had a long post-production process uh, of all the visual effects had to be done, and and we had lead time, but there came a crunch, and 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 because sci-fi never wanted to preempt. The only solution, and, and I remember saying, is why don't we just do ten and, instead of trying to do twelve and then taking a break? We'll, and we'll do ten and ten, and that ended up becoming the model. It was literally driven by the inability to finish episodes in time. 
because you know you do a gigantic, especially our mid-season ones. But we did some big shit with visual effects uh, in yeah. both shows. I, I can you imagine what, what I mean? I the one the one reason I'd love to do more is is knowing what what we could do, what's available to do, what what you can do now on a television budget, even in visual effects. Well, in that world, the 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 new LCD screens, the stuff that I know. Have you worked with one? The, the, these these you know backgrounds where you oh can yeah yeah in real real space in real time with amazing backgrounds opens up the palette for different worlds. For, so for something like Stargate, which is a planet based adventure experience, right? The fact that you don't have to physically find a location which is not available in Vancouver to do something, you can do it on a sound. Well, they're not a lot of these some of the and some of these spaces are not physically available anywhere in the world. The fact yeah. that your imagination could now go even further than it than it was as constrained by the physical locations for a Stargate series. Yeah. Bruh. Bruh. Yeah. Bruh. <laughs> right now. No, but can you imagine too, it's for the actors too, for to, to be able to perform in an environment that already looks like the place you're supposed to be imagining. Yeah, you know, I mean, and to the, actually, and, and these screens are doing interactive lighting, so yeah. you're, you know, the things that you don't have to do in post. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a bigger sort of lead time and more build time in advance, but the fact of the matter is, is that from a world building perspective, it's a huge advantage, and you know, so and you can up your you can up your creep, creature shop game a little bit, so you can spend a little more money there doing you know the interactive with the aliens you know you do you do you know thor next gen next gen sort of stuff i i i've been watching it i've been watching it going wow i if we had this technology 20 years ago oh the worlds we would have seen from the companion this is brad wright's podcast conversations in sci-fi if you want to listen to the full conversation and get access to Joe Malazzi's podcast, Gator's Gonna Rate, Conversations with Amanda Tapping, and many more in Stargate and science fiction, you get it all on a weekly basis as a member. Thanks. Hi there. This is Chief Master Sergeant Walter Harriman, your favorite gatekeeper. Have you ever wondered what it takes to become a certified Stargate technician? Well, now you can find out because I'm going to share my knowledge and experience with a select group of aspiring and enthusiastic gators. I want to give you a chance to be a hero too. That's why I'm happy to announce that on March 11th, I'll be taking a small number of students for my class, Gate Tech 101. Tickets are on sale now at thecompanion.app slash events. You won't want to miss this because it's not just a Stargate masterclass. It's a Stargate chief master sergeant class see you there but for now chevron 7 is locked